And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst. We're a podcast that looks at the latest in pop culture, including film, TV and music, as well as dissecting some very special subjects of our choosing. You can find us online, Twitter, we're at The Thirst, facebook.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. We're also on Instagram at The Thirst Pod. You can find us on Podbean by searching for The Thirst and you can do the same on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify and you can email us if you would like to. It's thethirstpod at gmail.com. We've also got our blog where we share links and any other info that we share in the episode. That's thethirstpod.wordpress.com. And I have updated it recently. So um, before you accuse me otherwise, Steph McKenna. I would never do such a thing. Who would think it? Um, This is episode 46. We've decided to aggressively pivot to exclusively birthdays from here on out. There truly is no, like, 46 doesn't come up in pop culture very much. So it comes after the number 45 and before the number 47, according to Wikipedia. According to Google and Wikipedia features loads in maths and science. But apart from that, we are definitely doing a hard pivot to famous birthdays. And um, I'm really enjoying the, the the birthday page that I've got up because it appears to have chosen to just feature exclusively men. No idea why. And the ranking of these actors, for some reason they're ranked, numbered, is like absolutely batshit. Yeah, Mark, I've just looked through mine actually and my the website I am do- using, which is a completely different one from yours, is also got a very strange ranking as well. I assume it's supposed to be based on like how well known they are, but this is clearly bullshit. So Yeah, maybe. You share yours. Leonardo DiCaprio. Yep, of course. Old sexy headphones. Is is number one, obviously he's forty six. David Harbour. Congratulations, Lily Allen. Oh man, she's lucked out so much. Christian Bale. Sure. And Joaquin Phoenix. So this is a really yep. good age, I would say. Very, very good. On my list, number one is Sarah Paulson, apparently. What? Okay. Ryan Murphy's best friend. Um I've also got Bradley Cooper, Eva Mendez. Not on this list at all. It's his birthday today, I believe, actually. What? Yeah, it is. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Bradley. Bradley Cooper, big fans. Olivia Coleman, our favourite Norwich former resident. Our neighbour. Who else have I got here? I've got Michael Shannon. Have you, Michael Shannon? Who is ranked number 43 in this, below many, many people, including Dax Shepard, who's number eight. So I I don't know who made this list. Sure. But it wasn't me. Um, I've got Chloe Sveeney, Matthew McFadden, Mahershala Ali. Yes. Bear Grylls. Oh, well, happy 46th birthday for whenever it was Bear Grylls. That's a person I don't think of. That's probably the first time I've thought of Bear Grylls. (laughs) I was going to say this year, but it's literally January 5th, maybe in the past three years. (laughs) Past three years. Just sparing a thought for Bear Grylls there. Congratulations to all of those people for being uh, 46 (laughs) years old. So it's early January. We've finally got past Christmas and New Year, which were a bit of a damp squib for us this year, I would I would say, for, for a lot of people as well. Um, but it's given us a good opportunity to catch up on a lot of uh, film and TV in particular that we hadn't had a chance to watch earlier in the year. Um, so now we're going to spend our episodes talking out about some of our favourite picks across film, TV, books and music for 2020. And I think we're going to start with film, which is always the hardest one, I think, of all. And I think I'm right in saying for both of us that this year we've found it harder than usual. <laughs> it's been, it's still been a great year for releases, despite the fact that we did have a lot of releases 
particularly film knocked back into the future TBC dot dot dot. But um, we have had a lot of good films this year, but I'm just not feeling as enthused as usual. No, it's a weird one. We've been talking about this for like the last couple of weeks, I suppose, when we knew that we were doing our usual end of year roundup and sort of thinking of the best things that we've seen, watched, listened to, etc, etc. And it's normally something that we really look forward to. And I especially am really like very much someone who enjoys making lists and enjoys rankings and likes this end of year period because it's an excuse to kind of look back at everything. But this year, I just have really struggled to get in any way excited about it. And it's not that we've not seen a lot of good stuff because I meticulously log everything I watch throughout the year um Steven Soderbergh does the same thing so it makes me feel like less of a nerd oh great so last year I watched 181 films overall Mm -hmm. cool 104 of those were new things for me and then 59 of those were like 2020 specific releases and obviously we were very fortunate last year to watch a lot of things at the virtual london film festival Mm -hmm. so that was a big chunk of it for us so you know considering that we did spend a lot of the year in and out of lockdown i depressingly only went to the cinema eight times last year which for us is like absolutely bananas yeah that's just unheard of really isn't it and i th- I don't know whether part of it is like not having that cinematic experience with some I of these so. films yeah and it's not that i didn't love them anyway but it just doesn't have i don't know I don't have the nice memory to go with it. No, and I think I've really struggled to watch things at home, not because I found it difficult as in access-wise, that's not the case. It's more just my attention span is not the same as, you know, going to the cinema for two, three hours, sitting in the dark, having completely no other distractions like at home i'm either on my phone or if i put my phone away i just get distracted anyway or i'll go oh, yeah. make a drink or pause things to get up i've nurtured terrible habits like yeah, I think even same. having the option of being able to pause like four times to go to the loo as much as that's a luxury it's also just like I don't know. I've just got quite bad with like walking away. Wes gets really annoyed because I've developed this awful habit when we're watching TV. I will, if it's something we've seen before, for example, we're rewatching Sopranos at the moment, I will like get up just to go and get myself a glass of water. But instead of saying to him, can you pause it? I just walk off and it really annoys him. <laughs> he has to pause it. I, in fact, did that last night when we were watching the episode of Lost we watched last night. Oh, yeah. Um, because I'd seen it, I decided that I needed to go and get something to eat. Just so get up and leave. I just got up and left. And T yeah. was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I just need to get something to eat. But, like, keep going, obviously. Imagine if we just did that at the cinema. Just like, I'm going to stretch my legs. Bye. Yeah, like, my cinema experience as well. Like, I absolutely hate going to the loo during a film at the cinema unless I am, like, absolutely desperate and can't. Oh, Yeah wait like I hate it because I don't like missing anything because it's, yeah. it's like do you go do you risk there being like an integral plot point like the only time I ever do it is if, if it's something I've already seen before mm. and I can choose the exact moment yeah. so like when I saw Avengers Endgame for the first time I think I I think I might have asked Vaughn like at what point is a good juncture <laughs> to like maybe consider going to the loo because it's like three hours long and I was like I'm gonna need the, I need a break but other than that I, I'm a real stickler for like no I'm in here now that's it I've got to stick it out maybe that's why you know I was saying to you the other day that my bladder control has got so much worse and Mm -hmm. apparently I can't just I don't have a bladder of steel anymore I can't just hold it for three hours when I want to Uh, maybe it's because I'm not going to the cinema 
So I'm not exercising exactly. that bladder control as much. And you're at home all the time, so you know you can just go to the toilet whenever you need to. This is such great bladder chat. I think we should move on very swiftly and talk about some of our favourite films. So have you ranked your favourite films of 2020 in a specific order? Well, okay. So I initially had like basically firmed up like maybe top, one two three yes and then the rest of it was just like an amorphous mess and then I did just sit and rank all of it but as I said to you previously I've done that multiple occasions over the last few days and it's changed every single time Mm -hmm. so it's sort of in an order but not really you can tell us which ones are specifically top bar and then the others are all your you know, collected faves. Collective faves. And also, I think I would really like to just say now that there are three really obvious exclusions from this lift. For I me. think they're the same ones that I've put down as well. Last year, in 2019, we were really fortunate to see The Lighthouse, Robert Eggers's film, at the London Film Festival. So we included it in our rankings because it had had a UK release and we'd already seen it. So that was in our rankings then. Obviously, it didn't come out in the UK until the start of January 2020, I believe. Mm. Um, So technically, it's 2020 release for everyone else. Make of that what you will. And then we also watched Parasite and Uncut Gems in 2019 and included those in our best of lists. And they are neither of those are on my 2020 list, even though they absolutely would be under any other circumstance. They were in our last, they were in our 2019 list, so it's fine. If you're, if it's really important for you to hear what we thought of those films, you can go back and listen. They were definitely there, just in a different year. It's fine. If you're so desperate to hear what my take is on Uncut Gems, just come to me in a social media capacity and I will gladly regale you with my she monologue. truly won't shut up. It is a, uh, just all she ever does. So am I to assume that I am going first then? Yes, go on. So most of these we have talked about, majority of them I'm not going to elaborate upon because we will be here for hours. And I also do imagine that there will be a considerable amount of overlap with yourself as well. So if there's anything, once you've done your list, we want to go back and just um, expand upon, then we can do. Um, Am I going 10 to 1 or 1 to 10? Or whatever you'd prefer. What would you prefer to do? Oh, maybe I'll go backwards and do like a Top of the Pops-esque countdown. That's a popular culture reference that only people in the UK will get. Wait, is that not universal? I guess it isn't. No, Top of the Pops is a UK thing, wasn't it? It's Friday, it's 7 o'clock, still number 1, it's Top of the Pops. Could YouTube that, there's some great footage. Okay, so my number 10 is Palm Springs, um, directed by Mac Barbacow. We talked about this uh, last summer. It's the Andy Samberg um, time travel film. I just had a great time watching that. Uh, it was out on VOD, but I think it's going to be on streaming at some point in the next few months here, I think. Um, it's definitely worth watching. Just just really brilliant. Another round directed by Thomas Vinterberg, which is the Mads Mikkelsen, Dad's Getting Pissed Up film, which we saw at London Film Festival. I really enjoyed this and it's completely stayed with me since we watched it in October, especially that last five minutes. Oh God, so good. Just absolute big Mads fans around here. Who knew he could dance? What a catch. Uh, My number eight is Bad Education, which is directed by Corey Finley. This is a film with Hugh Jackman and Alison Janney about a high school superintendent who defrauds the school district from a lot of money. It was released on HBO in the States and it is available here on Now TV. This was one of the first things I saw during lockdown where I'd been like really missing like 
high quality good cinema mm-hmm. once she'd got through all the trash comfort watches is what you mean yeah it was just really brilliant i really took me by surprise i had like absolutely no expectations Corey finley i think directed thoroughbreds mm. which is a film that came out a few years ago but i just thought it was phenomenal like it's just absolutely brilliant sort of reminded me of adam mckay's films but like considerably like less uh, maybe obnoxious mm-hmm. um, but definitely worth a watch if you find some time to do so. My number seven is something I watched over the Christmas break. It's Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, which is directed by Eliza Hitman. In the UK, this is available on Now TV as well. So if you haven't seen it, it's a slightly depressing film about a young teenager who's growing up in Pennsylvania who has to travel to New York to have a pregnancy terminated. And it's completely like low key but it's just extremely powerful to sort of join this girl on her journey and I don't know it's just one of those things that I just knew was going to be quite heavy going and it Mm. absolutely watched but it's just so well executed and I'd seen it on quite a few like critics like end of best of the year lists so I'm glad that I took the time to watch it Uh, my number six is David Byrne's American Utopia which is directed by Spike Lee that was something else that we saw at the London Mm. Film Festival and I think it's available here on VOD I spent a lot of 2020 listening to a lot of talking heads. Just absolutely adore David Byrne. And this was just so incredibly uplifting. And it was so well needed in, in October when I saw it. And I just, just a complete delight. And then something else I saw at London Film Festival, which is my number five, is Possessor, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. I think that's available on VOD now as well here in the UK. Um, I know that you really enjoyed that too. Oh yeah, wax lyrical about that. My number four is um, absolute recency bias, but it is genuinely one of the best things I saw last year is Sound of Metal, directed by Darius Marder. Um, it's going to be on Amazon in February. And I think we probably will expand upon it further. I would really like to talk about it because yeah. I just found the whole experience of watching it Riz Ahmed is absolutely phenomenal in this film and I will be really disappointed if he doesn't get any kind of awards recognition for it um my number three is baby teeth directed by shannon murphy this just arrived on netflix last week actually so if you didn't catch it at any stage during 2020 now is your time we watched this simultaneously from a distance last summer and it just completely overwhelmed me i've thought about it a great deal brilliant performance from eliza scanlon and uh, my favorite ben Mendelssohn. just brilliant 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 uh my number two is portrait of a lady on fire um directed by celine Sciamma. again that was one of the first things I think we watched from a distance. Yeah, that really was right at the beginning of lockdown, wasn't it? March, April time, I think. It had a UK release generally in February, I think, and we watched it on demand. I think that and was the first thing we watched simultaneously together. Yeah, and it just, it's such a beautiful film. Like, I'm sure you've heard many, many people talk about it at great length because it obviously had a US release in 2019. So it's one of those, like, end-of-year lingering UK early release 2020. But just absolutely brilliant filmmaking and my number one is Nomadland directed by Chloe Zhao we again saw this at London Film Festival and it's just so quietly brilliant but absolutely packs a punch and I've just thought about it quite a lot in this very strange isolating year I'm really looking forward to watching it again when it gets a wider release on some kind of streaming platform Mm. cinema who knows at some point but just absolutely brilliant completely worth the hype I think personally. So that's my top 10. I have got some notable others, but shall I let you go first and then we can compare and contrast? Absolutely. So we've got, we have got some overlap. We may not have as much overlap as usual, which is really interesting. And I would maybe put that partly down to the fact that yeah, a lot of our cinema going usually we would do together. So we would 
most of the the releases from this year that we would watch we would watch together and mm-hmm. i think this year we've definitely we've had those watches but there's also been very much like us taking the time to watch the things that are of our own specific interest so funnily enough i've got more horror films in my list so um, <laughs> big surprise to everyone so kind of similar to you i think my top 5 are pretty solid and are the five that I would pick. And then the others are kind of, you know, a bit of a mix, maybe not an official Fluid. Ranking. Yes, fluid. So number 10, I put The Dark and the Wicked, which is a film that naughtily is not out here yet. I think it's being released this year at some point. Couldn't find a date, but it was out on the 6th of November in the US. And this is a horror film written and directed by Brian Bettino, who wrote and directed The Strangers. If you remember, did you ever watch The Strangers? Do you know what? It's been sat on my Amazon like to watch list or Netflix to watch, on one of my streaming to watch lists for about like, Oh my God, it's so stressful. It is so stressful. Really good though. I very vividly remember watching that film and being so freaked out in a house by myself. Um, So, well, horrible. But it's it's a horror film about um, two siblings who are brought back to their family farm they grew up on because their father becomes really ill and their mother's acting very strangely and seems to be haunted by something that they can't see or understand and it's it's a depressing little tale but I really enjoyed it's got a very isolated setup on a farmhouse and there's something just very 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 horrible and effective about the idea of the devil literally being at your door like using your fears and your relationships to torture you so it's not like the most original thing you'll ever see but it is really it's got some really nightmarish moments in it so Uh, I just really enjoyed the overall tone of it. I thought it was really good. Uh, Number nine, I put Baby Teeth, which, as you mentioned, came out, I think, in August in the UK. I I seem to remember absolutely, like, being beside myself crying when we finished that. And I remember you having to to check in and make sure, because we just both couldn't, just absolutely emotionally shattered. It's, um, It's really heartfelt, really funny, but also just absolutely heartbreaking. So... Very, very, very good. Number eight, I toyed with, I've put St. Maud, which came out here in October after a very, very, very long wait. It was due out much earlier in the year and kept being put back due to COVID and then finally came out in October. Was one of the only films I saw at the cinema post-pandemic kind of really blowing up. I saw Tenet in the summer and I saw St. Maud. Uh, And this is a psychological horror film written and directed by Rose Glass. And that's her directorial debut. It's quite interesting. There's quite a few debuts on my list. So it's very much religious horror. It's got sort of religion, death, the psychological impact of nursing and of being nursed. And it's very beautifully shot, very steeped in sort of ghostly atmosphere, very shadowy and has a very, very memorable ending so I think when you finally get around to seeing it which I'm sure you will you will I think you'll find it quite effective too I have to say I had a huge I think I'd overhyped myself for this film I was dying to see it so much that initially I thought oh was I a little bit let down by that but I don't I don't think I was I think my expectations were just far too high after waiting for about 12 months to go and see it 
number seven is the most 2020 film ever, and I've put Host, which is... Uh, oh, of course. Yeah, a straight as a VOD film. Didn't get... Well, I say it didn't get a cinematic release. It did have a limited release recently, actually. I think it was at the Prince Charles in London. Truly the most 2020 film ever. It's a British found footage horror film directed by Rob Savage, and it was filmed entirely in quarantine during the, the strict lockdown we had at the beginning of the year. And all of the actors had to be directed remotely from their own homes. They had their own setup, had to set up their own cameras, lighting, stunts. All of the practical effects were handled by the actors. So really was very DIY at home. And it's just so, and it's only an hour long as well. And it is just so, so effective. Easily one of the scariest things I watched this year. So simple in premise as well, with everyone tuning in on a Zoom call, all of these friends. Uh, it's just, yeah, it, it really, it really, really effective. And I just think it's amazing that they managed to pull that off. And uh, that's why it's one of my favourite films of this year. Number six was one I watched recently, actually, that I know you've seen before. It's now on Netflix and it came out in the UK in September. I put Rocks, which is a British coming of age drama directed by Sarah Gavron. Just the performances, I think, are the winning ingredient in this. Just the relationships between um, Rocks and her little brother, Emmanuel, the friendships between the girls, their conversations at school. Just really affecting, I think. Kind of frightening, funny, sad, hopeful, all of those um, ingredients but yeah I really really enjoyed it I was really struck by it number five is my final no it's not it's not even my final horror film I'm so sorry number five is His House which uh, is a film that came out on the 30th of September and it's on Netflix written and directed by Remy Weeks uh, and I think again it's Remy's debut film and this is it's a horror film but it very much looks at the refugee experience and life for refugees in our fair country which isn't actually very fair at all. So you've got a ref refugee couple that basically take up residence in a haunted house and sort of the most horrific aspects of the story are very much their lived experiences um, in South Sudan. And it also incorporates a lot of surrealism and jump scares. It's very, very emotionally charged. And I think a lot of the best horrors are so very much worth watching. Number four is Nomadland, which you beautifully summarised already, directed by Chloe Zhao. Uh, we watched at London Film Festival, and I th I did look this up. It's being released in the UK in February, so we haven't got much longer to go. And oh God, I wish we'd had the opportunity to see this at the cinema because it was just so much. I've thought about it a lot as well, and thought about just the skies in it and the landscape it's so as beautiful. well. It's just amazing, and Frances McDormand's just. She's just utterly fantastic, isn't she? She's such fan. She's always a fantastic actress, but this is just the best thing I've seen her in. Um, so yes, loved Nomadland. I put number three is Sound of Metal, which was one of the last, most recent things that we simultaneously watched together. Released on Prime in the UK at the end of January. As you'd mentioned, I'm sure we will talk about this more when it comes out in the UK, when more people have had a chance to watch it. But was just. Oh, just it's just my favorite performance from Riz Ahmed today easily and Same. the sound design and everything is just mind-blowing we'll talk about it um some more later I don't want to ruin it for everyone but it's just yeah people are gonna love it 
uh, if you haven't seen it already. Number two, obviously I put as Possessor because it, I just really loved Possessor, directed by Brandon Cronenberg. It was released cinematically in the UK in November, but I don't think that many cinemas had it and not many people were going. So thankfully it's on um, streaming now for everyone to watch. Just absolute insanity. And I really can't wait to watch it again. Just fully nuts. We did do a, a full review of it when we did our London Film Festival roundup so people could tune in for that. Uh, and number one, I put as portrait is of a lady on fire. So very similar to you, just in a slightly different order. Again, I think between that and Nomadland, I, I think about them often. Yeah, and same. they're just the perfect, just all of the ingredients are there and they're just extremely beautifully put together. The more I've thought about it as the year has gone on, so mm. because we watched Portrait of a Lady on Fire so early in the weirdness of 2020. Honestly, feels like 10 years ago. Doesn't it? And then Nomadland was sort of October time, so things had just picked up, but we're getting sort of a bit strange here again. They're just so, like, 2020 films but not for the reasons that you would necessarily think. I just think there's so much in there about like isolation, longing, like the vastness of like open landscapes of like wanting to be free and do everything that you possibly can. Mm. Like I, I, when I was writing my list, I was just like reading so much into it, just thinking, yeah. oh my God, there's so much to be said about the fact that like we've all been so separated and restricted from doing all of these things that it's funny how the things that we've enjoyed have like reflected it back. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the way that the atmosphere of a lot of the films I watch, but mm. things like the landscape and yeah, just the setting has felt like it's resonated a lot more this year and I found myself sort of pining for those for those setups a lot more. So that's that's the only way we're we're traveling at the moment is is right. through watching things like this. So what were your do you want to give a quick roundup of your sort of highly commended notable others? Yeah, so it was quite hard to whittle down to a 10 and there's definitely some in my notable others that I could have pretty much jostled up around with some of those early kind of top entries. So uh, we've got Miranda July's Cajillionaire, which was another thing we saw at London Film Festival. I also watched Kitty Green's The Assistant over Christmas, mm. which is just, it felt like a horror film. It's not a grim. horror film. It's not grim, but it is grim. It just made me feel absolutely unwell. Uh, oh, something we didn't talk about, but we did see briefly while well, I saw some of at the London Film Festival is Steve McQueen's Small Axe series. Mm. Um, that would have been just in my top 10, I think, mm-hmm. um, but it got knocked out. Rocks, which you mentioned, absolutely adored. Marielle Heller's A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Mm. I had a lovely time watching Birds of Prey, and I'm not ashamed to anyone to know that. Why not, mate? Of Harley Quinn. Love Margot Robbie. I'm thinking of Ending of Things, which we talked about at length. Spike Lee's Defy of Bloods. Another Riz Ahmed film, which we saw at London Film Festival, Mogul Mowgli. One Night in Miami, which is out here in February, I think. Christian Petzold's Undine. Time, The Nest. Sophia Coppola's On the Rocks, which I feel like so few people have seen because mm. it's just sitting on Apple TV Plus at the moment. Ugh. No one else to access it, but I adored it. King of Staten Island, uh, Justice for Pete Davis there. God, I still haven't watched that. I need to. It's just a great time. And also something that I can't not acknowledge because it was the last thing that we saw at the cinema, what I saw at the cinema in 2020. And I have watched it since and I had a great time. It's a true history of the Kelly Gang. Hey, mate, I put that in my highly commended others as well. It's just a delight. It's just great fun. Why are people sleeping on this film? I thought it was great. Love George. Yeah, I included that. I also included another round, the the Mads film that you spoke about earlier, One Night in Miami, as you said, directed by Regina King. Uh, I saw The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is a comedy horror film 
written, directed and starring Jim Cummings, which I don't always like Jim Cummings stuff loads, but actually I really enjoyed that. The Five Bloods, The Assistant, Just Mercy, which is something I'd completely forgotten sort of existed within this year. But I really enjoyed the book by Brian Stevenson, which I read a few years ago and has stayed with me ever since. So I thought it was a really good adaptation of it, actually. Uh, True History of the Kelly Gang was our last film that we saw at the cinema together. What memories... Uh, Colour Out of Space came out this year in the UK. I think it might have been the US the year before. The science fiction Lovecraftian horror starring Nicolas Cage. I enjoyed that. And also The Invisible Man, which came out surprisingly well. I did watch that over Christmas and I enjoyed it, even though it made me stressed quite a lot. Very, very, very stressful. But Very stressful. Better than expected. Who would have thought that the way that you could make men even worse was by making them invisible? (laughs) Uh, so true put that on your gravestone so now that we've covered our favorite movies from 2020 we'll shift gear into looking at television um i don't know about you this may not be the case at all um i found television quite hard to assemble if only because last year so in 2019 i'd watched a hell of a lot more television than i normally would do, I do yeah i do remember that but in 2020 i spent majority of the year re-watching television largely with you <laughs> So when it came to like selecting like my top 10 like 2020 TV releases, it was like properly slim pickings. And my list is like so funny. (laughs) So is mine. Mate, my TV watching habits this year have, yeah, primarily just been like True Blood and Lost and Hannibal with you. We I think we have mentioned it on the podcast, but we managed to watch all of True Blood. We rewatched Hannibal, three seasons of Hannibal. We've just started watching Lost. Yeah. What have I re- I've rewatched all of Succession this year. I've rewatched yeah. Euphoria. I'm nearly finished with my new girl rewatch. Lovely. I've just started the Nick. Like I'm just I've just been rewatching like everything because I can't I haven't been able to have the mental capacity to like get on board with new stuff, but the yeah. stuff I have watched is like is so funny. So, um do you want to start this time just for to mix it up because i feel like the i feel like the top spots for us will probably be like a very similar and i'm just interested to see how mad it gets yeah so i didn't watch a lot of new quote-unquote new television this year don't know just didn't watch a lot of tv this year apart from things that were going to be big comfort watches for me especially the things that i watched with you so here's my extremely random (laughs) list fine so I don't even know. Looking at them now, I'm like, what What are you thinking? So I put I put Perry Mason as... Oh my God, Perry just, Mason. I know, honestly. HBO is on Now TV for anyone in the UK that wants to watch it. Can I Go just on. ask a question about Perry Mason? Yes. I adore Matthew Reese. Who yes. doesn't? Is there a part of Perry Mason where he has sex and then aggressively falls off the bed? Yes. Oh, okay. Obviously. Well, and that's a reason you should watch it. Yes, yes, yes. Matthew Reese. I mean, who doesn't love Matthew Reese? So, uh, focuses on the origin story of the defence lawyer Perry Mason, who I basically didn't know existed until 2020. Not really a thing in my cultural sphere. But here we go. Now I've watched this origin story. Pretty grim, actually, as a TV show goes. Not the best thing I've ever seen, but absolutely blasted through it and found it pretty fun, interesting. Um, Perry Mason's character's having a good time i enjoyed it some people were really raving about this i don't know if i'd i wouldn't rave about it but um i i like a fuck up private investigator and i like crime stories set in 1930s la so why not number nine uh is almost cheating because i've been talking to you about it recently and i only just binged it um is dare me (laughs) 
why is that in my list? <laughs> so I have to have at least one tea, teen-based TV show in my watching every year. This You're is basically, basically my Riverdale fix for the year without the awful songs. So you've got coming of age story, murder, small town drama. Hey, it's a it's a literary ad- adaptation because it is based on a book. So lovely. So it's at- arguably high culture. It's quite high culture. It's on Netflix. If anyone else wants to watch it, it won't take up much of your time. Everything's very high stakes drama. It's a sort of all American about the cutthroat world of competitive high school cheerleading, which could not get further away from anything I would do in my actual life. But, you know, it's got murder and um, adultery and drug taking thrown in for fun and a very, very teen soundtrack, which I was quite intrigued by. It's like Euphoria, but like a basic Euphoria. Let's put it that way. High stakes drama. Half of it's very believable. Half of it's completely insane. And it was complete escapism, and I really loved it. And it's already been cancelled, so I won't ever have to talk about it again. <laughs> what more do you want? Oh, perfect. One and done. I've put one that will probably be on your list as well is Shit's Creek season six. Finally got to say goodbye to the Rose family and the place that's meant so much to them. Just very warm, very charming, just the most lovable characters. And it was extremely lovely to watch David and Patrick finally get married. This one I'm now looking at going, why have you put this in here as well? Um, (laughs) This is something we did both watch together and I had to include it because I have to have something Stephen King in my list. So The Outsider, we watched a million years ago, um, came out on HBO and was on Now TV here in the UK, adapted from the Stephen King book of the same name by Richard Price, stars Ben Mendelsohn, someone we love very much, Cynthia Erivo, Paddy Considine, it's just, I don't, Jason Bateman, great cast. I thought it was a really great cast. Balances police procedural with something supernatural, which I always really dig. Didn't fulfil all of my expectations, but actually I really loved this cast and I really loved having something to tune in for every week, hour of TV every week that was right up my street. So the ex- for the experience alone, it was one of my favourite things this year normal people arrived on bbc3 and hulu at the same time back in april directed by lenny abrahamson and hetty mcdonald based on the novel by sally rooney of course who doesn't know about this show i with just very intense feelings watching connell's daisy edgar joan and paul mescal yeah oh god connell's chain is just connell's chain will live in our minds forever it's one of the most iconic parts of 2020 i think don't know really enjoyed it we both really enjoyed the book when it came out it was a real balm when it appeared during was it like april May? yeah it was april yeah and i again because we both enjoyed the book it could have been something that you could completely spoil or miscast really especially with connell you really got to get that casting right um and i think they did to be honest i think they did i i was really skeptical at the time and ahead of it because i think i had a very specifically clear vision of what connell was like You've got the ki- clear vision. It's it's so hard to see that on screen, but I think they did. I think they did really well. Didn't I they? think they did brilliantly. So uh, I'm sure that will be on a lot of people's lists. Something else we watched near the beginning of the year, which hasn't even had 
a UK release, which I feel really bad about, is High Fidelity. Came out in February in the US, an adaptation of Nick Hornby's novel, stars Zoe Kravitz, cancelled after one season. Absolute bummer because we both had such a good time with this. It was and, amazing. Oh, it was just a dream. Just absolutely good vibes, amazing music. So well executed. She was brilliant. So much love for Zoe Kravitz. And we did, we reviewed this, didn't we? A few episodes. Yeah, we did an entire episode. Um, An entire episode, just, no, it was our sort of focus for that episode, wasn't it? I think maybe. So go back and listen to that. But loved High Fidelity. This one I probably should have put in film, but is also sort of TV, but could is probably more film. So I've probably made a mistake. The only film from Small Axe that I did watch or got round to watching was Lovers Rock, which I watched a couple of weeks ago on BBC iPlayer, created and directed by Steve McQueen. And you saw a couple, didn't you? Did you see Mangrove as well? Yeah, so I saw Mangrove at... London Film Festival and I saw mm-hmm. Lovers Rock at London Film Festival so mm-hmm. I saw those two and they're the first two it's interesting that you put it in TV and I put it in film there's been so much discussion about this because obviously it has had a partial cinematic release in some mm. places it obviously showed at London Film Festival and I think it showed at New York Film Festival as mm. well and Steve McQueen himself has said that he considers them to be films in the states they've been on amazon i think and Mm. in the uk they aired on bbc so they're not really any different to sort of like extended bbc dramas yeah well they're an hour long aren't they the sort of hour-long anthology series giving five different insights into the lives of caribbean communities in london so they're all kind of interlinked so yeah it for me it felt like a almost like a tv anthology not helped by the fact that i was watching it on bbc iplayer Mm. on my laptop but still so could have easily gone in film straddles them both but I'm glad I managed to watch this and I'd like to see the rest of the small acts films because this alone was just fully immersive very just absolutely spellbinding really great snapshot in time in 80s London the bit where they're singing silly games and like the fit the song peters out but everyone's still singing along after it's finished it's just it just gives me chills thinking about it because i think it's so well executed it is so well executed just very rich very sensual very detailed yeah i've thought about it a lot since i watched it um and i regret not being able to watch it sooner and i'd like to catch up with the others number three is i'll be gone in the dark which was released on HBO and is on Now TV. And that's the true crime six-part documentary series based on Michelle McNamara's book of the same name, which talks about her investigation of and writing of her book on the Golden State Killer. So for the most part, it closely follows Michelle's book and her journey. But there's also a much greater emphasis on the victims, especially in the final episode six. And that episode alone for me really, really stood out. And it it was just a really brilliant piece of documentary filmmaking, really. And it had lots of familiar faces in it, which means I've definitely been watching too much true crime. So... Number two and number one are interchangeable and I won't dwell on them for too long. So uh, we are who we are. HBO and Sky Atlantic co-created and directed by Luca Guadagnino. Uh, We talked about this, was it in our last episode? Yes. Two American kids living on a US military base in Italy and I just just absolutely struck every chord with me. It just felt like it was designed for us really. I just can't help being such a sucker for it. And I've listened to that soundtrack loads and I've listened to Blood Orange loads and I've thought about holidaying in Italy and just truly loved these characters, loved the setup. 
was so gutted when it finished. I just felt really sad that we wouldn't be able to spend more time in their lives, really. So loved it. And then, of course, I May Destroy You, which was on BBC One and HBO, the British comedy drama, created, written, co-directed, and executive produced by Michaela Cole, which is she's just an absolute powerhouse, really, isn't she? And we talked about this in a previous episode, too, where we reviewed it quite thoroughly. And it follows Arabella, who's a writer who has been sexually assaulted in a nightclub. And she's forced to try and remember what happened to her evening. And it kind of forces her to reassess everything that's happened to her. Just stunning, stunning piece of television. And I'm struck just looking at this now by how many BBC releases there are on my (laughs) list. I don't think I've ever watched so much BBC programming in one year they've truly knocked it out of the park this year i'm really impressed shame they're so rubbish else in, other, in all other respects but tv is this why i still pay my license fee maybe it is oh who awkward. knows yes yeah, so that's my list what is yours <laughs> a mess firstly well could it be more of a mess than mine uh, yeah, 100%. So I will, I'm, I am going to go from 10 to 1, but I will just tell you right now that my number 1 and 2 are exactly the same as Way. yours. So, okay. like, brilliant for us. Uh, my number 10 is Big Mouth on Netflix. Oh, lovely. The most recent season came out at the start of December. Um, I'm not someone that particularly leans into, like, adult cartoons. Like, April, let's just admit now you're a huge fan of Family Guy. Just love Family Guy. She's in a Family Guy t-shirt right now. Can't. Just can't get her out of it. Oh, Brian, so relatable. <laughs> yeah, so I'm just not really someone who leans into, like, you know, grown-up cartoons. I only watched, started watching BoJack Horseman in 2020 because I got so thoroughly depressed and I suddenly was able to relate to this horse that's just, like, at his wit's end constantly. So great. But Big Mouth is, like, my one thing that I just love. And I think it's because it is voiced by so many of my favourite US comedians. You've got Jason Manzoukas, John Mulaney, Nick Kroll... Jenny Slate like a whole host of people that uh, I absolutely adore and it's just I think it handles like themes on adolescence and growing up and what a nightmare it is to be a teenager in just like a really interesting way and this new season as well sort of negotiates they've got kind of some trans issues in there and like LGBT mm. QIA themes as well and I do think it it handles things very in an interesting way and it's just a fun time so that's my number 10 Uh, my number 9 is the second season of what we do in the shadows which is obviously based on the Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement film I actually think this may be as good as if not better than the film it is so funny it's just so much it's very very well done isn't it it's so well executed Matt Berry is just a delight I, yeah, I, there's few British comedians that I find as funny as Matt Berry. Truly, he's just. I, you need to watch Toast because he's just. We, we watched a season of Toast at the start of this year, and I was you? really, I was really annoyed at myself for having not watched it sooner. Because can you hear me, Clan Fandango? Can you hear me? He's so good. He's just so funny. So what we do in the shadows? Number eight is the first part of season two of Pen Fifteen. I did also watch the first season of Pen Fifteen this year, but season two is what came out in 2020 um it's just this very strange surreal look at what it's like to be a teenager or middle schooler as they are in the states the two leads Anna and Maya are played by uh, women our age and the rest of the cast apart from the adults is primarily like age appropriate kids Mm. And it's just brilliant. Like, there are so many parts of it where I've just... It's felt so extremely real to the the absolute horror of being, like, an adolescent girl. Yeah, yeah. There's one episode where they watch The Craft and they just become convinced that they're witches. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> Good. And I just, oh my God, it me. Yeah, exactly. It made me lose my mind somewhat. Number seven is Love Life, which is the HBO Anna Kendrick's fronted sort of 30 minute drama comedy series i watched this because our friend vix absolutely was like you should watch this you should watch this you should watch this i was about to say vix is going to be so pleased that you're talking about it now i relented just out of like pure morbid curiosity because it's so rare for her to go like extremely hard on something and it not be good <laughs> and i watched it and i was like Do you know what? this is actually very very good and i think actually that itself is available on bbc iplayer as well it's about a woman sort of going from her post-college years into sort of later life into her 30s just looking at the sort of the evolution of relationships and what happens when you're sort of a woman that's negotiating like dating and all of that I don't know it just really struck me actually I was very very surprised uh, my number six is Devs which is the Alex Garland sci-fi series starring Nick Offerman and a bunch of other people Carl Guzman Zoe Kravitz's now ex I really like Alex Garland's work big big fan of Ex Machina Annihilation, you know, everything else. And I watched, I absolutely binged watch this within the first month of lockdown. And it mm-hmm. was like an absolute head melt because it, is just extremely intense in in its themes. It didn't necessarily deliver the way that I wanted it to, perhaps Mm. towards the end, and I do think it tailed off somewhat, but I just think that it is... I don't know, I think Alex Garland isn't afraid to tackle, like, quite intense, like, head-scratching stuff. Oh, yeah. And I... I don't know, I just had a very good time watching this. Was it a limited series, or...? I don't think they're going to do any more of it. No. Which I quite like, actually. I quite like the sort of finality of it because it does come to an end conclusion. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it needed much more. I admittedly um, had it as a sort of highly commended notable other because I enjoyed what I saw, but I still have one episode left to watch. Why do I do that to myself? Just for some reason didn't watch the final episode and just haven't got round to it yet, so... I just have this, like, morbid curiosity with, like, Silicon Valley and tech companies, and I just think that, It makes like, me feel quite sick, to be quite yeah, honest. Yeah, I think that's why it stressed me out so much, because I've got such a love-hate relationship with, like, social media and apps and my phone and all of this stuff, so it absolutely tapped into that. Which, again, is, I think, something that Alex Garland is very capable of handling in a very mm. interesting way. Like, that's why I think I love Ex Machina so much, because that's sort of a very similar kind of angle. Oh, yeah. My number five is Betty, um, which is the Crystal Moselle HBO drama series about a group of uh, young female or female identifying skaters in New York City. It's an expansion on her film Skate Kitchen, which came out a few years ago. I absolutely adored this. I just think it you were saying earlier about how we've not been able to travel or go places this year and I really have found Mm. great comfort in things that are about places I absolutely adore so Love Life is set in New York City and so is Betty and again High Fidelity as well Mm. all New York based and I just think like it's rendering of New York City and and especially the way that kind of skaters navigate the city I think is very very so well done. It's got a group of really young kind of performers most of whom are, it's their first time acting Mm. and ordinarily that would really put me off because I think it would just be a bit static but it has that kind of like lo-fi indie film vibe being a series and it was just really really inspiring just absolutely brilliant I've watched it a couple of times now I really loved it Um, my number four is High Fidelity which you've talked about previously my number three is Normal People which you've talked about previously then after that we've got number two is We Are Who We Are and of course my number (laughs) one is I May Destroy You so lots of similarities I think the thing I noticed for me is I 
found a lot of comfort in like really short comedy shows because actually mm. I found those quite manageable. My attention span as the year has progressed is completely gone mm. and I've really struggled to sit and watch anything for like mm. long periods of time. I think that's why I really enjoyed re-watching so much as well. So like mm. True Blood, we watched Six Feet Under, we were re-watching The Sopranos, Lost, Hannibal because I know what's happening so it, I, I don't have to concentrate too hard it's a different viewing experience isn't mm. it because you can sort of you, you anticipate what's happening you know what's going to go on you don't mm. if your if your attention wanders for a bit you're not completely lost or anything like that what other kind of commendables have you got on your list just a few so you mentioned devs which I still need to finish I've got one last episode and I really must I watched Des. So DES, which um, is probably the only ITV thing I've seen in a very, very long time. It's a three-part miniseries about the 1983 arrest of uh, Scottish serial killer Dennis Nilsson, who was played by David Tennant very well. We watched this in one sitting, just absolutely blasted through it. It's only three episodes, and his portrayal of Dennis Nilsson is just spot on, really. It's just so fascinating to watch people when they get a performance, you know, when it's just really uncanny because they do it so well you feel like you're watching the actual person so really great performance worth watching sex education season two couldn't give a fuck about otis otis but i'm very invested in eric and in mave there's a particularly great storyline with amy who experiences a sexual assault on the bus on the way to school and the way that the girls come together to discuss it and kind of support each other is just absolutely stand out for me it's a really lovely storyline so i went into season two thinking i really don't I don't need another season of this, but I actually think season two might be stronger overall. I do think overall. However, I do think Otis is just a little asshole. Oh, that makes me sad. Just just couldn't give a fuck about him, really. Eric, though, great. I'm Not Okay With This, which again is on Netflix, um, based on the comic book of the same name. Something else I think I watched in one sitting again, like half hour episodes, so really easy to watch, follows a teenage girl played by Sophia Lillis, who plays Bev in It, um, the child Bev in It. And she is in high school and she's dealing with, you know, relationships and family and all of these things, but is also developing superpowers. So again... Just a really, the, the ending, again, is just absolutely, it's got like that Carrie-esque, insane, bloody ending, which I really loved and came absolutely out of nowhere. So I had good fun with that. And the only other thing I will flag up, which is in progress and doesn't have great reviews so far, and I haven't made up my mind, but I have to flag it, is The Stand, which has just started on CBS in December, based on uh, the 78 novel of the same name by Stephen King, developed by Josh Boone and Benjamin Cavill. There's only been three episodes so far. They've done some really weird things with the timeline. God knows why they've chosen to structure it that way. But I do really enjoy the performances so far. This is a book that people feel very, very, very strongly about. And you really can't get these characters wrong. Otherwise, you're going to be, you're just going to burn in hell, I think, according to to those people. So shaky start. We'll see how it goes. But I'm just really pleased to be able to watch it, to be honest, because it's needed like a full TV series treatment rather than just like a quick film or whatever for a long time so we'll see how it goes how about you um so there's just a few things i suppose i will just flag up i something i am partially 
midway through but haven't finished and tried my hardest to try and finish it but just didn't get around to it is the good lord bird which is ethan hawke's adaptation of james mcbride's book about the abolitionist john brown there are seven episodes i think of this and we've watched three and like i absolutely adore ethan Hawke anyway but he is just like extremely career best in this and i'm really looking forward to seeing uh, how the rest of the series plays out but it's just i don't know just absolutely brilliant he's just a delight he's really leaning into that kind of slightly crazed man on a on a mission which is just a delight to see really i also really interestingly enjoyed the last dance which is the espn documentary series which is also on netflix about michael jordan full disclosure i don't care i don't care about basketball whatsoever but this came out in april time and it was sort of a couple of episodes a week and it was just really really interesting like it's my cultural knowledge of basketball from when I was a kid is sort of tied into the Chicago Bulls and that particular era the 96 mm. 97 era which Michael was Michael Jordan's one of his last seasons playing for the Bulls I just remember like everyone I went to school with was like strangely obsessed with the Chicago Bulls it's one of those like you know weird cultural phenomenons i think just must have made its way it probably leaned into like tv and also like computer games and stuff but it was just very very interesting and <laughs> um, i thought it was really well executed um i also watched all of dash and lily the week before christmas which is an adaptation of a ya book about two young people who kind of do this weird game of cat and mouse in a book of dares around new york city it was very festive i've specifically been saving it for december and i watched over like two days before Christmas just on my lunch breaks and it was just a delight who doesn't love a lovely Christmassy teen drama and what else have I got here oh the Babysitter's Club on Netflix a delight oh I keep meaning to watch it (laughs) it's so sweet I just a couple of episodes genuinely made me cry because I just the things they're handling for like young people oh Mm. got really got to me and the only other thing as well which I think sort of straddles 2019 but I am going to include it is Rami which I had to watch on Apple TV but it's Rami Youssef based on his life but not really but it's about a young man living in New Jersey he's Muslim and he's kind of coming to terms with kind of trying to navigate like his life but also trying to involve his religion I just thought it was really interesting Mm. and what was most striking about it in like a good way but also in a depressing way is that it's sort of like it's about this person whose religion is part of their everyday life but it's Mm -hmm. not being marketed in like a negative way yeah Um, I think we're so used to unfortunately seeing people of particular faiths pushed in a particular lane yeah which is largely negative and it was just very cool to just kind of see like oh this is what he just does on his day-to-day life and then he's got all of this other stuff that he's involved in as well Mahershala Ali pops up in series two of that as well which is um delightful and also Schitt's Creek as well which I I was going to include but it's just outside the bracket but that was just a delight to spend time with last year as well just love the Rose family love Stevie just love all of them what a gift for 2020 on to music and again for me personally and I think you you felt the same it hasn't been my best year for listening to new music I think 2020 being in our third lockdown now I end up comfort listening to things that are very familiar to me that are my favorites however there have been some particularly strong releases so do you want to take us through your favorite releases of 
2020 first. Yes, so there will be some absolutely glaring omissions from this, and that's not because I didn't think they were good albums. It's just simply because I haven't bothered to listen to them. Um, I absolutely struggled last year with really engaging with new music. When I was going through and making my list, I, I actually went back and checked when some of these came out, and there's such an interesting split between like stuff from like the before times, so... Mm. January, February, March, and then very early lockdown. And then there's just a massive, massive gap. And I will be quite honest and say that so much of my last year was just spent listening to like loads of my favourite albums from previous years. Like I literally listened. I still have Last FM, which I may have mentioned on the Mm -hmm. podcast previously. And according to Last FM, I listened to the Beastie Boys over 2000 times last year. So I just had no interest in trying to engage with new music and I can't tell if it's just because so much of that often for me hinges on like oh I'm going to get to see this stuff live or like Mm -hmm. this will sound really good if we get to see it in concert and obviously we just couldn't do that so I think I just completely struggled to engage so if you are wondering why there's like certain things aren't on this it's just because I just have probably listened to like two songs and was like no but also I think a lot of my and I'm sure with you as well a lot of my listening habits also revolve around what I'm doing. So, you know, whether I might try something new if I'm going out, you know, and I'm traveling or I'm walking somewhere or I'm in the car and I haven't been doing that this year. So what have I been doing? Listening to music when I'm mostly feeling shit or working and like working with music in the background from home, which is why the Beatles ended up in my top five of... (laughs) artists in Spotify wrapped this year. It's just completely different listening habits as well, isn't it? As well as being on a very interesting emotional wavelength. Yeah, it's just odd and I just haven't had the emotional capacity to like comprehend like the way that I would listen to music usually. Like I've completely lost that commute to and from work walking. Mm. I don't go into town Ever, it makes a big so like, difference. Makes it big really difference. does. It makes a difference in a way that I hadn't really ever thought about. I think that's interesting in itself. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I and you're you know you and I are definitely aren't the only people I know this is exclusive to. Like I've definitely spoken about this with a lot of other people who've said they've kind of had very similar things going on just because they're suddenly thrown into this like completely new listening or routine. So yeah, so I mean I've done a ten. But the two, the top two are probably quite fixed, but the rest of them are all pretty loosey-goosey. So my number 10 is Serpentine Prison by Matt Berninger. Matt Berninger is the lead singer of the band The National. He released his solo record this year. This came out in October. I put off listening to this quite a lot because I was just absolutely terrified of listening to the national this year i absolutely adore them obviously they are my favorite band in the entire world but there's also quite a lot of sentimental emotional attachment for me to them and i often like listen to them when i'm in feeling in varying moods and i was really concerned that like if i start listening to the national obsessively i'm just going to completely wipe myself out so i've really Mm. been hands off but this is a really really nice record it completely appeals to fans of the national it reminds me a bit of kind of nick cavey i don't know if you like the national you're probably gonna like this matt burning record so there we go um my number nine is another solo record by the lead singer of another band i like big thief um this is adrian lenkers she released two albums this year so there's one called songs and one called instrumentals they came out in october again if you're a fan of big thief you're probably going to really enjoy this it's very kind of nice acoustic key really leans into her particular vocal style which i really like number eight is another two-pronged record i've just realized actually there are three incidences on my list where there are two records from the same person oh nice so this is a uh, folklore which came out in july and evermore which came out in december these are the two records by taylor swift i don't know if we've talked about these at any stage but 
I don't think we have. No, I think we sort of missed the period of it, didn't we? This felt particularly pointed for me because the two people that Taylor worked with on these two records are obviously Jack Antonoff of Bleachers, whom I adore, who she's worked with before, so this was completely not a surprise. But the other person she chose to work with was Aaron Dessner, mm. who is one of the guitarists and songwriters in The National. Um, so this just felt like absolutely like napalm for me emotionally and I really like these two records for me as a fan of the national there are so many like vocal patterns or or like piano sketches or just like guitar parts that are like so extremely the national Mm -hmm. that it's actually painful to listen to sometimes I mean it's Taylor Swift like I was gonna love it but I just was completely thrown and I think that it's obviously you know says a lot about what you can do when you are a talented performer in lockdown with access to lots of resources and I was supposed to see her this summer but obviously or last summer sorry but obviously didn't so this was just a nice tonic to make me forget about that number seven is Saint Cloud by Waxatachi and this came out in March this is a record that I've come back to quite a few times throughout the year it's just a very nice singer songwriter type record so if that's your particular interest then you should definitely get on board with that number six is The Long Goodbye, which is a record that Riz Ahmed put out in March. I really like Riz Ahmed's musical work. I'm a big fan of Sweatshop Boys, which is the project he does with rapper Heems. Um, That was one of my favourite records of when it came out in 2016, the Kashmir record. And it was quite funny that this came out in March and I just was like really into it. It's a very interesting kind of like concept album about what it's like to be British, but be of another culture as well. It links really heavily to Mogul Mowgli, which we saw at London mm. Film Festival so it's interesting that he put this out in March and then that didn't come out until the end of the year but I don't know I just think it's wonderful it's sort of it's really funny to listen to now in a post-Brexit landscape uh, number five is It Is What It Is which is the most recent record by Thundercat that came out in April just wonderful I really really rate Thundercat's musical stylings it's kind of funk kind of R&B kind of rappy it's just I don't know brilliant number four is the two records that Sufjan Stevens put out last year it's The Ascension just I mean, it's Sufjan Stevens, what more do I need to say? <laughs> and there's also the record that he put out in April of last year, Aporia, which was largely instrumental. And I found that was really great to listen to when I was working in those very early days of lockdown. It felt strangely autumnal, actually. So for it to come out in spring was a bit strange, but just a delight. And then my top three are my third favourite record is Future Nostalgia by Dua Lipa, which came out in March. I was very sceptical when this first came out. And wasn't that fussed. I refuse to hear it. And then I absolutely like have listened to it into the ground. And I, ge- I genuinely think it is a flawless record apart from the second to last song, which genuinely I think is one of the worst things I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't think it's that bad, I will argue. It makes me but... cringe so much and I just have to skip it every time. I don't even want to say its name, it's awful. And then my top two, my second favourite record is Punisher by Phoebe Bridges. We talked about Phoebe briefly. This arrived in June, which was like really at the midpoint of when my tolerance for (laughs) this had all gone out of the window. Who knew you'd still be here in January with no tolerance (laughs) for any of it? I much prefer this to her first record. Her first record is brilliant, but Punisher, I just think, is just absolutely phenomenal. Like, she's just a delight. She's been a real brilliant person to have on hand on social media during this weird 
stupid Mm -hmm. corona period because she's just been like doing some really cool stuff online and my favorite record of the year is obviously fetch the bolt cutters by fiona apple we spent a lot of time dissecting this when it came (laughs) out remembering fondly the fetch the bolt cutter stage of the pandemic that was nice wasn't it best meme of the year i'd say right what a great time that was so that's my sort of loose top 10 and i've got some others as well but i'll let you go next yes i didn't rank mine at all apparently i just gave up on ranking them at this point um but i do have a top three which are basically the same as yours (laughs) we said didn't we when we were putting this together we were like we're just gonna end up be the same great Well, that truly is testament to how good they are because they're in everyone's top. I have made an effort, as usual, to highlight my favourite quote-unquote pop records. You're so good Rather than any other weird stuff that no one wants to hear about. I want to hear about it. Thank you. Well, I can talk to you about it separately then, can't I, when we're not recording? (laughs) So, favourite quote-unquote pop records of this year. You mentioned Taylor Swift, Folklore and Evermore, really digging these sort of the the indie year quote-unquote of taylor it swift. really is her like her indie sojourn that boniver song on folklore just absolutely kills me right and i've listened to it over and over again over and over and over until i've made myself really sad so yep. not a yep. great idea both recorded during lockdown phenomenal love this art that's coming out during lockdown love it just great and i am a moderate taylor swift fan so but these are very very strong records and for both in one year to be as strong as they are i think is um testament to the fact that she is a very powerful musician hayley williams did a very surprise record for me anyway petals for armor so i barely listened to parables after laughter didn't listen to it at all really used to love paramore back in the day haven't really listened to them for years Didn't expect to be listening to Petals for Armour as a kind of alt pop record, but ended up kind of dipping into it a lot, actually. It's become one of my go-to pop albums, sort of upbeat pop albums of the year. Simmer's a really strong opener, really like Cinnamon and Rose's Lotus in particular. It's just made me reappreciate Hayley Williams. I think she's she's cool, man. I like her. She is a good egg. She is a good egg. So Angel Olsen released another record this year called Whole New Mess. It's kind of a demo record in that most of the tracks are from All Mirrors, which came out in 2019. But this is them as she was practicing them before going to the studio, I guess. I think I like this record even more than All Mirrors, which was one of my favourite records of that year. It's like completely raw, unedited, echoing, just really, really highlights her voice. It's much more haunting in this Mm. way. I've listened to it solidly um, when working, weirdly, as well, um, and when cooking and doing all kinds of things. But I just love having it in the background. I think she's got the most amazing voice, and I was so pleased to listen to this. Put one R&B record on um, my list for this year, which is Chloe Halley, Ungodly Hour, Um, It's their second studio album from Sisters Chloe and Hallie. It's just cool as shit. Lots of fun. I love their videos as well. They're so good. It's just such a strong double act. And I love the way their voices work together. Again, just a really fun R&B poppy record. Uh, And then my top three are, obviously, uh, I put Phoebe Bridges' Punisher. I liked the first record, but didn't feel that strongly about it. And this second record has really clicked for me. Just beautiful vocals and instrumentals and can really easily put it on in the background as I'm going about my day at home. Dua Lipa Future Nostalgia is hand on heart easily the biggest pop record of this year 
easily the most successful as well. I just, I'm so surprised that my entire Spotify wrapped wasn't just Dua Lipa, to be honest. <laughs> but there was a phase where I was like getting up and listening to it and then going running with it and then getting home and listening to it whilst working. And then it just on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. Physical was probably my favourite pop song of the year. Just, I absolutely adore Dua Lipa. I wish she wasn't dating Anwar Hadid. What a waste of her. Break up with your boyfriend, do her. Beauty and talent, because otherwise I just think she's a stunner. And she's had a really good year. She's been doing some really great things. She's been great entertainment over on social social media. She's just been good fun. Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, is obviously the best record of the year, hands down. No one else gets to say otherwise. And who expected that? Who expected Fiona Apple to save 2020 for us in music? God, that was but good, wasn't it? Absolutely did. What a record. It's just a great period. <laughs> and I revisit it all the time. I could just enthuse about it forever, but adore it. And you bought it for me for Christmas, which was lovely of you. Thanks so much. You're so welcome. It felt like the only 2020 like shred of positivity. I think so. if there's, yeah, if there's like one thing material thing i will take with me from 2020 i would burn the rest but i would keep fetch the bolt cutters i really would and the only other thing i will quickly flag which is unrelated to the rest and it's the only band i'm mentioning actually uh there's a band called soft kill who released a record this year i think it's their fifth or sixth record called dead kids r.i.p city and i put this in here because i think if you're a fan of the cure you should probably be onto soft kill already if you're not then definitely give them a listen they've got a sort of post-punky shoegazy slightly dark but poppy atmosphere and it's just a really really great record it's my favorite of theirs by far really really stand out and i'd love to listen to this record driving i really would sadly i haven't had a chance to yet one day i'll be able to make a long journey and listen to it i just think it reminds me of the cure a lot there are certain cure records that this really reminds me of so yeah give soft kill a try and those are my favourites of this year. Lovely. There's an, just a few extra things I just want to chuck in, just because I have actually listened to them quite a lot, but they just weren't necessarily like in my top 10. There's the Freddie Gibbs and the Alchemist record, Alfredo. It's probably one of the only rap records I've listened to quite a lot this year. Halsey's Manic, I have really actually listened to quite a lot. Surprisingly, I feel like I've done a whole U-term on... Yeah, I just think she's great. Like, came out in January, February time, I think, and I used to listen to it quite a lot when I'd get back from my runs it was my like warm down music uh, Tame Impala's Slow Rush I was very sceptical about Chromactica which is mm-hmm. the Lady Gaga record but I do think it does bang quite a lot there um, are some bangers on there I just yeah. think some of them are also a bit weak but there are some standout tracks too yeah completely Kid Cudi released Man on the Moon 3 which I know you weren't that fussed about but I it's, it's alright like it's good I love Kid Cudi quite a lot so he could probably like just released like the most average record in the year and I'd be like <laughs> extremely stoked. And then also um, One Tricks Point Never released Magic One O Tricks Point Never. That's the project of Daniel Lopatan and he does a lot of soundtrack work for the Safdie brothers. And he's also worked with David Byrne and a bunch of other people. Nine Inch Nails I think he's worked with before but that's really nice kind of like weird ambient electronic stuff which I have really enjoyed doing a lot of work to this year because that's all I do now is listen to music while I work. So Same, um, same. Right. The only other the notable others I'd put just outside of my shortlisting were Jenny Beth, To Love Is To Live. Oh, yes. Um, which is Jenny Beth's first solo record. 
outside of Savages. I did really, I did like Heim's record, Women in Music Part 2. I know a lot of people raved about it. Not personally, not my favourite Heim record, but I, I have enjoyed it. I mean, we love Heim. I love mm-hmm. Heim. Big fan of the Heim sisters, don't get me wrong. I've genuinely listened to that record once. I think that that first Heim record is still, I just think it's out and out my favourite. But I just haven't, I don't know what it is about Women in Music 3. I just haven't had the, I don't know. I just haven't been bothered. Yeah, yeah, right. I can completely understand that. I can completely understand it. I've I enjoyed it, but it's not my favourite home record. I also put Lady Gaga Chromatica and Halsey Maniac. Halsey, Halsey, Halsey Maniac. Uh, So very similar to you. There we go. Lovely. So after all that, the last thing that we'll be covering is we are going to run through some books that we've enjoyed this year once again. I haven't actually put the dates on mine. I've just noticed on my list and I would estimate just glancing that probably like one of these, two of these, three of these, four of these. Approximately half then maybe. Half of them are 2020 releases and the rest of them are other things that I've just sort of come to in 2020, spent some time with and enjoyed. I did reach my Goodreads target last year. Congratulations well to me. Scraping in at the t- skin of my teeth. I don't do that anymore. It stresses me out too much. Yeah, I wasn't that fussed. And then all of a sudden I was like, I was like one book ahead, but book away, sorry. And I was like, oh, I should do it. Anyway, I really struggled with reading quite a lot last year. So I was quite pleased to reach that target. I think that's mm. the only reason I was quite fussed actually is because there was, I had had such a dip where I was finding it very difficult to engage with anything mm. book-wise. So I was quite satisfied that I actually did read more than I thought I was going to. So I've got 10 and about half of them, like I said, are probably 2020 releases. And I, mm. I'm i sceptical that there'll be any of... Oh, actually, that's a lie. There's be, there'll be one thing, I think that will overlap on so do you want me to go first or do you want to go first uh feel free to go first i don't mind so i mean my number one is fixed and the rest of them are like completely fluid so uh, i've got my dark vanessa by kate elizabeth russell which is the was there controversy around this it felt like there was at the time wasn't there double controversy one because of what the book was about and two because someone accused her of plagiarism yeah so she was accused of plagiarism which isn't true because then she actually had to come out and say that no this is it was based on my own trauma that i have been through personally because it's about a woman who's writing about the relationship that she had with a teacher when she was in high school and it's sort of I guess Lilita inspired not really sort of that is a plot point but it's about how you kind of come to terms with trauma and how you process that and you know realizing that actually perhaps in a relationship that you thought was something is one thing just completely isn't yeah, I think I was really sceptical coming to this, but I just really did enjoy it, actually. Um, mm-hmm. And I have thought about it quite a lot throughout the year, more than I thought I was going to at the time. Um, I've got Stubborn Archivist by Yara Rodriguez-Fowler, which is about sort of a clash of cultures. It's about a, a young woman living in the UK. She's got Brazilian heritage, and it's sort of talking about how she negotiates that. Not really feeling like she belongs in one place and not really feeling like she belongs somewhere else as well and how you kind of negotiate that. I read Please Read This Carefully by Karen Haviland, which is about based on her experiences of chronic pain as an endometriosis sufferer. And I found it extremely relatable for a variety of recent reasons, not because I have endo, but because I have various chronic pain relating to Crohn's. And I found it a really sensitive and interesting look at what it's like to negotiate life with chronic pain and also the absolute hassle sometimes of having to negotiate doctors and get diagnoses and have an understanding of conditions and it just really 
I found it quite overwhelming at the time, actually. And I've just recommended it to quite a few people I know for a variety of reasons. Um, the Dangers of Proximal Alphabets by Kathleen Alcott was something that my friend Yaz lent me. I really enjoyed Kathleen Alcott's other book, which I think is called Invisible Houses or Invisible Homes that I read a few years ago. But it's about a woman that's writing about her experience of kind of falling in love with someone that she was lived a bit near when she was a teenager and negotiating the way that relationship changes. And there's things in there about mental health as well. Just thought it was really brilliant executed i finally got round to reading girls to the front by sarah marcus which is her look at the riot girl movement and zine culture it's hilariously a book that i've gifted to about three or four people over the last 10 years it did come out about 10 years ago and in lockdown i finally got myself a copy and i finally read it and i was like absolutely kicking myself because it mentioned so many bands that i absolutely adore like slitter <laughs> kenny bikini kill bratmobile like all of these people and it was just really interesting to sort of read about that movement and think about it from a bit of distance from and sort of think about how things have changed i listened i pre-ordered in fact <laughs> pre-ordered was that excited forgot about my pre-order and what joy it was green light by matthew mcconaughey all right all right all right all right all right, all right. prescriptions bumper sticker bumper oh. sticker green light I just think everyone needs to listen to this as an audiobook. Like, I'm, sh- I'm so sure wild. that it's a delight as a book. Like, I'm, gr- you could have a great time reading it because some of the stories, some of the things he mentions in it are like bananas. But as an audiobook experience... No, it's the way it's read. It's the it way it's the read. It was the best, like, two days I think I've had in the last year, perhaps, was just listening to him read this out because he's just got such a way of telling stories like i dazed and confused is one of my most favorite films and i'm convinced that like matthew mcconaughey starred in that film as mm-hmm. wooderson and then for the rest of his life he has just embodied wooderson oh yeah that's like a chicken and the egg story it, absolutely like, what, came like, first? what came first it's just a delight like the his delivery of all of this is just like absolutely next level like I, and it's I, so natural as well it's so natural like he's not he's not acting up like that's just what it's like and i've recommended this to so many people i gifted it well i, I, gifted, I gifted it to you didn't i as an yeah. audiobook i made our friend vix download it like i know i know of at least three or four other people that have downloaded it because i've been like no really you have to because it just has to be heard to believe it's just phenomenal phenomenal who'd have thought it I also really enjoyed In the Dream House by Carmen Maria Mercado. She was someone whose work I'd read sort of loosely, one of her short stories online, I think. I think it was might have been in the New Yorker or, or on another online publication. Her Bodies and Other Parts was the collection. I read mm. that at the start of the year and then I read this uh, in March time. And I just thought it was a really wonderful look at sort of sensitive themes. It focuses a lot on uh, domestic abuse, but within a same-sex couple, which is something that I don't necessarily get written about or talked about at length. And it's it has such an interesting structure in that it's sort of focusing around this idea of the house and the house as a space and a place and a sort of embodiment of, of other things, you know, what's contained in it, what isn't, what's missing, blah, blah. It's just really brilliant. Like her writing is absolutely wonderful and I implore you to read it if you haven't already and I also read Real Life by Brandon Taylor which is about a African-American man 
who is at a college in the Midwest uh, on a um, science program. And it's sort of, I love college novels. So the mm. fact that it was focusing around a college and it's also about his relationships with his friend and this sort of idea of white privilege and the sort of consequences of what it can be like to be the only person of colour within a friendship group. And I just, it's so beautifully written and it really took me by surprise actually because I had a feeling that just because of the themes that it kind of covers, I, had, I knew I was going to like it. But just so much of the prose is just like absolutely wonderful. It gave me the same sort of feeling that I got when I read A Little Life Mm. Um, and I really dragged it out as well because I just didn't want it to end because Wallace the main character is just he's so well-rounded and you just come to understand him and and the traumas that he's carrying from his own life his upbringing he's from a well less off background than some of his friends and it's just sort of what that you know does to you and and how you negotiate relationships and I just it's being adapted as well and I think Kid Cudi is involved which Mm. made my brain melt somewhat yeah so I don't know it's just really wonderful like I it's it's not that hard to describe but I just think you have to experience it to really enjoy it and my top two actually are sort of a variation on a theme so I finally read Go Ahead in the Rain by Hanif Adekakib this year which is his essay collection about a tribe called Quest a tribe called Quest or a band I've come back to a lot over the last year big big fan anyway it sort of goes through all of the albums in chronological order and obviously your mileage on this will completely be dependent on your interest in a tribe called quest but it just sort of looks at those albums through the prism of his own life and his own upbringing in ohio but then also sort of wider black culture and and the impact and the legacy of those albums and it's just brilliant like his his writing's ace anyway but it was just sort of nice to kind of finally get to read that and this year or last year Sorry, I finally finished Beastie Boys book. Finally, finally, oh, you finally. Did. All 600 whatever pages of it. <laughs> I spent a lot of time absorbing Beastie Boys across the board last year. So it was quite special for me to... I'd started this at the end of 2018 when it came out and I just parked it and not gone back to it because it's quite a hefty book it's quite tricky to read in bed but I went back to it after seeing the Beastie Boys documentary in April time and it was just wonderful it's just the such a nice collection of like stories and insights into the band's history written from the perspective of the two remaining members um, Adam Horowitz and Michael Diamond but then it also gets sort of lots of their friends most of who are famous um, involved to sort of write about Beastie Boys impact on the wider culture or tell those stories I also started listening to the audiobook of it as mm. well, which is like one of the best audiobooks because it's a an whole like who's who cast of people involved and it's just yeah was very smug to have finally finished it and it just meant so much to me and kept me sane through a very, very not sane period. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Love it. I've split my books I ha- again I haven't ranked them. I always get past like film and then I give up with the ranking system so I've got a group of books that came out this year or I say this year 2020 and then um, a few of my favorites that did not come out in 2020 so in no particular order I read Rainbow Milk by Paul Mendez which is a sort of coming of age story which mainly focuses on a young man called Jesse who leaves his family who are strict Jehovah's Witnesses leaves when he's quite young and moves to London and is sort of coming to terms with his racial and sexual identity and it's just fantastic really it's 
really beautifully written. I was struck by how beautifully written it was. Some of it is quite graphic, but it never, never feels over the top. It just feels really real. And it's very funny in parts as well, whilst also being heartbreaking and I just really really felt connected to Jesse and wanted him to do okay so um, watching the relationships that he kind of develops as he's in London is just it's uh, yeah it's just a fascinating read and I really loved it and it, it it felt very meaningful so definitely recommended I also of course put green light by Matthew McConaughey because I painted my bathroom whilst listening to that <laughs> and it was an absolute joy and I was just howling every time he told any kind of anecdote um, and Wes kept on coming in to listen as well because it was just he kept picking up like small bits of it and being like what the hell is he talking about? It's like, no, you have to hear the whole anecdote, but it still sounds completely mad. Just great fun. I think it's probably the only kind of biography I read this year. So, and I'm glad it was that one. God bless him. I really enjoyed, I know you read this, but I really enjoyed The Discomfort of Evening by, I'm going to butcher this. Go on. I'm going to say, is it Marike Lucas Rienveld? Uh, yeah, Marika. Marika Lucas Rinveld. Yeah. So this is a book set in the Netherlands and it follows Jazz, who is a 10-year-old who lives with her very strict religious parents and her siblings on a farm. And there is a tragic accident involving her brother and she comes obsessed with death and her lived life and her fantasy life begin to merge and it's just absolutely wild. And some of it is truly disgusting and grotesque. Grotesque. And very difficult to read. It made me feel so grotty at parts. Isn't it grim? It is so grim. But I don't know, just the the idea of a 10-year-old being, I don't know, it's just all it's just all there, isn't it, in terms of this kid isn't ashamed to be fascinated by these things. I just loved, I loved the language and I loved the way that it was written above everything else, I think. And I thought that the way that it ended as well was really striking. I thought it was a really strong end. Um, and it can be really hard to finish those types of books sometimes. I often find that they kind of tail off. So that had a very short, sharp ending, which I found to be very rewarding. It definitely lingered with me a lot more than I thought. It was, for me, it's just outside my top 10, actually. It's like a slightly grim smell. but Yeah, it, it really lingered. And also, like, that book cover is, like, so striking. Such a great book cover. The red is very, yeah. very memorable, isn't it? Just, it doesn't shy away from anything. For a no. book that is from the perspective of a 10-year-old, it is quite shocking in parts. I was just really impressed with it. And another book that I really loved, um, and that also had a very satisfying ending, is Summer Water by Sarah Moss. I only started reading Sarah Moss's books in 2019, and have since become a big fan. And this is very much in her style. So it's set in summer and you've got a group of people who are basically cooped up with their families in like holiday homes in a Scottish cabin park. And it's raining, the weather's terrible. So they're all cooped up, they've got nothing to do. And they're just watching each other. And there's this horrible underlying tense tension as all of these people watch um, each other go about their daily routine domestic lives, but it feels like it's really building to something. And for a, a book that is quite short, but it feels like it 
the attention to detail is really there. And then in the last three pages, it just absolutely blows your mind and you end up having to go back and reread it, reread it because you can't quite believe what has happened in such a tiny period of time. It's almost a complete flip of what the rest of the novel was kind of building to. So I would very, very much recommend that. That Reminds Me is a book that I spent a lot of time with this year by Derek Owusu. It is a book that is written in a very interesting way. It's kind of, I guess it's like a novel in verse. It feels very poetic. And it's the story of a young black man from, uh, it tells the story from his young life in care through into adulthood. And it explores sort of identity and sexuality and addiction and mental health in particular. It's quite a, when I say difficult book to read, I don't mean because of the way that it's written, but it does deal with some quite difficult subject matter. But it's just, uh, lots of parallels have been drawn between the narrator's life and Derek Awusu's life, which I think is not he said himself isn't the case that you know he's there are some things that he has lived through himself and has knowledge of but it's not it's not autobiographical but I guess because it just feels so intense and intensely personal I can kind of see why people might draw that conclusion it's a book that I did a lot of work around at work because it won the Desmond Elliott prize this year and I just thought it was really really well earned because it's a debut novel that does something just truly original with its structure and it it packs in so much in terms of those very important themes and it's told in kind of fragments of memory and draws in some myth and tradition as well I just it's a very very rich text and it's quite short and I think it could really benefit from a reread and I'd like to do that soon uh, truly get to grips with it and the other book from this year that I was going to mention, which is completely different, is The Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Graydon <laughs> Hendricks, which is basically like Fright Night, but in book form. So it's about a handsome stranger moving into a small community and he basically infiltrates a woman's book club. And Patricia, who's narrator, is convinced that there's something very, very wrong with him. Just great fun. I read three of Grady Hendrix's books this year, and he's become one of my favourite go-to comfort read horror writers. I also read My Best Friend's Exorcism, which was one of my favourite books of this year, hands down, but was not released in 2020. I keep saying this year, it's like the 5th of January. So <laughs> I know, just have it's to, still in that weird period. Just have to marriage with that. But yes, I read My Best Friend's Exorcism and then very quickly read Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires. Just a hell of a lot of fun. Like popcorn book reading, if that makes sense. Like a popcorn movie in book form. So much fun. Of the books that I read in 2020 that weren't actually released in 2020, I had three short story collections that really stood out to me. So one was Things We Say in the Dark by Kirsty Logan, which is a collection of very dark stories that are through a, all told through a kind of feminist lens. Um, some of them are sort of contemporary fairy tales or, or a twist on classic fairy tales. There's some really dark supernatural stuff and ghostly stuff going on as well there's quite a lot of stories that deal with female bodies and with changing bodies that I really really enjoyed so that was great and I also enjoyed Salt Slow by Julia Armfield which came out in 2019 I think and there's a story in particular that I really remember which is uh, about uh, a city that becomes insomniac 
overnight. I don't know if some insomniac is a plural word, but basically everyone in the city becomes an insomniac overnight and they begin to be followed around day and night by the physical form of their sleep. So it's like having like a shadowy dark figure that follows you around all the time and refuses to let you sleep. Absolutely mortifying. No thanks. Horrible. And my third was the only Stephen King book I'm going to mention, which was Night Shift, uh, which is Stephen King's first collection of short stories and my first collection of short stories that I've read by him. And again, there's lots of very memorable short stories in that. And one that I didn't expect to think of a lot, but I have because I think it's just an amazing work of tension, I guess, is there's a story about a man who is forced to walk around a high-rise building on the ledge outside so like the ledge outside the windows he has to walk all the way climb out of a window and walk all the way around this building on the ledge high up and it honestly it made me want to pass out I felt so sick just brilliant stuff I read some Shirley Jackson again this year I hadn't read The Sundial before which felt quite fitting about a family that are preparing for the end of the world in their big sort of stately home absolutely loved it I think I read that just after we watched Shirley the film actually I just felt like getting back into Shirley Jackson Uh, I think they're the main ones that I wanted to highlight yes and my best friend's exorcism which I'd already brought up all in all great year for books yeah it was wasn't it I was really surprised by just how much I did cover actually yeah well done because I remember there the kind of the time where I think it was right at the beginning of lockdown wasn't it that initial shock just makes it really hard to concentrate just absolutely couldn't engage with anything and there was a real I mean it's actually it's interesting it's why I started listening to audiobooks because I just couldn't read anything so I found that slightly more accessible but I'm glad I managed to get back into the habit because it would have been a real bummer if I just spent the rest of the year just like absolutely not engaging a few others I just wanted to flag actually memoir wise I listened to the audiobook of Ramble Book by Adam Buxton big Adam Buxton fan a really big fan of his podcast in particular so listening to this uh, his memoir was essentially like listening to an extended podcast which was always a delight Boy Parts by Eliza Clark is something that's been talked about quite a lot. I had a sort of interesting time reading it. I think I uh, didn't enjoy it as much as I'd wanted to, and I think it was probably a little bit of a hype-killed thing. Mm. But it's very interesting. Hard not to compare it to American Psycho, which feels extremely lazy at times, but also like sort of relevant. I really enjoyed French Exit, which was my first experience of reading anything by Patrick DeWitt. I definitely read that largely because it's being adapted for a film that's hopefully going to be released at some stage this year starring Lucas Hedges so it'll be really Mm. interesting to see how that pans out I also read The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead right at the start of last year actually um, and that's definitely lingered with me quite a lot it's about sort of the trauma of a reformatory school for largely African American boys um, in the south just quite horrible themes but very well executed and delivered and I also really, really enjoyed Uncanny Valley by Anna Weiner, which is a look at Silicon Valley and what it's like to be a woman in tech. I think my favourite thing about that book was the fact that to avoid litigation, she didn't refer to any of the companies or anything like that, but she gives them like sort of really obvious nicknames. like the- You can work them out. Yeah, like completely like, like the app that everyone hates, Facebook. <laughs> the popular photo sharing app instagram instagram yeah some of them are just like really really funny as well so 
that I don't know like I said I have a morbid curiosity with all of that stuff and it definitely made me just like want to go and burn my phone especially when you think about the way that our data is processed and how companies use the algorithm to manipulate us and all of that stuff and slightly terrifying but fun all the same Um, and I also got really into rereading a lot of Frank O'Hara poetry oh nice I'm not a big poetry person but no um, me neither but big Frank O'Hara fan over here so that was quite lovely as well so that was our little roundup of things we've enjoyed in 2020. I have to say I'm feeling 10 times more optimistic about it than I was when we started because it Me was quite too. nice to actually talk through the things and listen to you share the things that you've enjoyed because although there was lots of overlap, which felt like an, an inevitable thing, there's also, it's been quite nice to see how, for not for a change, because that sounds like we do everything collectively at all times. No, only 90% of the time. Only 90% of the time. It's just interesting to see where we've had to splinter off into Mm. those different avenues which I feel like is you know making the best of like a not a bad situation just a Mm. irritating situation so if you felt inspired to seek out any of these things on the basis of what we've been talking about then please do and let us know as well I will make sure that I share full lists of what we've mentioned Mm -hmm. on our blog as well and I'll make sure that that gets linked to on Twitter and other social media and if there are things that you are thinking like why haven't you said this then again let us know on our twitter on our instagram we would love to hear what you found enjoyable in 2020 just because i think that we have all had to sort of get a little bit more introspective this year and kind of you know i don't know get creative with what we're enjoying absolutely so that's us done you can find us online we're twitter at the first podbean.com forward slash the thirst pod you can subscribe and review us on apple podcast by searching for the thirst rawster on spotify as well our instagram handle is at the thirst pod our blog is thethirstpod.wordpress.com and don't forget that you can email us to thethirstpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye. Happy New Year. Bye. Happy New Year. Bye.